that you are a three-dimensional being. Now, that's something that we talk about often around here at Heritage because there's so many things in the scriptures that you'll never understand unless you understand spirit, soul, and body. And so you are a spirit, you possess a soul, you have a soul, and, and your spirit and soul live inside of a physical body. Think of a hand inside of a glove with your spirit and soul being the hand and your body being the glove. Now, when God created us, he created us to be connected with himself. As a matter of fact, let me, um, for those of you who are a part of uh, um, discipleship class, you'll recognize this drawing. Um, And so uh, I'm not going to try to explain everything uh, on this drawing this morning. It would take me a very long time. But if you'll notice from the word God up, up in the top corner there, there's an arrow, and, and written on that arrow is the word zoe. And this word zoe means the life and nature of God. The life and nature of God. And what that arrow is, uh, is representing is both connection and direction. Connection and direction. When God created Adam, he created Adam to be in spiritual union with him. He created... Um, you and me, of course, <laughs> praise God, uh, descendants of Adam and now having been born again, amen. Um, he created us in such a way as for our spirit, because remember, you are a spirit, and God, who is a spirit, to be joined, to be connected. Now, we know what sin does to that, right? Sin separates that connection. So, <clears throat> if you look at the drawing, we see that the, that the arrow then also is communicating not just connection, but direction. And to simplify this, God created you and me. And this is one of the the more important things that you can ever understand because most people on planet Earth are living in an opposite way to how God created us to live, okay? When God created you and me, he created us to live from the inside out. He created us to live from the inside out, from your spirit through your soul, into your body, out into the world around you. So if you'll notice then, in in a healthy person, praise God, a born-again man now, um, the life and nature of God flows from God into our spirit, into our soul, into our body, and out into the world around us. So if you'll understand what this picture is, is representing, then you'll understand verses like, Beloved, I wish above all things, that you prosper and be in health, what? Even as your soul prospers. In other words, if, if, the, if the health and well-being that already resides in your born-again spirit is ever going to be experienced in your physical body and your life reality, then it's going to have to pass through your soul. Now, one of the ways that we teach spirit, soul, and body is for you to think of your soul as a valve. Do you understand a valve? A valve is something that you can turn on or turn off. Um, you know, a, a hydrant, for example, um, the water fountain is a valve. You push that button and it allows the water to flow through. And so your soul is, is like that valve. And if your soul is healthy and prosperous, amen, it will allow the health and prosperity that resides in your born-again spirit to flow into your body, into your life, into your life reality, and even into other people's lives. This is why Jesus said of born-again people, you can lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover, because he's put healing inside of you. You're connected to the source of all life and healing, right? Through a spiritual union with God. So the, the healing that and health and, and life that's in God can flow from him 
into your spirit, through your soul, body, into somebody else, okay? But notice what a lot of people do with this. Their thinking shuts that down. Their thinking says, oh, not me. Their thinking says, I couldn't lay my hands on somebody and somebody be healed, right? So notice your thinking resides where? In your soul, in your mind. So the, the mind, the soul, is the valve that either allows these things to flow through or, or shuts them off or shuts them down um, altogether. Is this making sense to you so far? I spent more time here than, than I intended to because the point that I'm, I'm wanting to establish before we go any further is that God created you to live from the outside in. Now, here's going to be our first passage of the morning. Let's go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Amen. And we'll begin at verse number 9. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 9. I'll put it up on the screen for you, okay? Titus chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Okay? Did you know that the word warped was in the Bible? Praise God. And right here it is. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Now, this passage exists for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's because like in our day, back in the day when this was originally written, people love to debate and argue about the Bible. And, and, and so there were lots of things in their day that they argued about because this was just on the heels of transitioning from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant way of doing things, to the New Testament and the New Covenant way of doing things. And so there was a lot of confusion. There were a lot of people who had different opinions about these things. And so they would often dispute and argue. The Scriptures tell us more than here to avoid that. Amen. And so I want to encourage you to avoid those things. But notice he says that you should reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. The idea here is that, you know, don't waste your time just butting heads with somebody. Pray for them. Love them. Amen. But, but, but quit, you know, engaging in these arguments with them. Now, this was clearly written way before what we now know <clears throat> of as uh, digital social media. <clears throat> Amen. And, and yet, how many of God's people get drawn into... Um, divisive arguments, disputes, contentions, strivings, things that are unprofitable and useless. Amen. If you're going to participate in social media as a born-again believer, then participate in a way that is profitable and useful. Amen? Amen? That's weak. Amen? Amen. It's not, listen, we, we don't... We, we, don't let the enemy draw you into these things. Remember, an offense means a trap. And, and so, you know, I hear people, I hear more and more people telling me, Pastor Mark, I just canceled all my accounts. I deleted all my accounts. I, I'm not doing that anymore. And if that's what the Lord's told you to do, then do it, okay? But listen to me, please. Just like in the, in the marketplace of their day, right, God needed people who would be a voice for Him. Um, social media needs people who will be a voice for Him. Amen. And so you can, you can certainly be mature enough to rise above um, all the, you know, political stuff and, 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 and those types of arguments and debates and discussions, right? Um, you know, if you're opposed to the vaccine, don't comment on anything that has to do with the vaccine. You know, if, 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 if you think Trump's a loser, then, 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 then stay away from people who stand up for Trump, whatever. That's not, that's not what we're about anyway. Am I right about this? 
that's not what we hear that's not what we're here for anyway praise god and so um he, he says avoid things that are um, unprofitable and useless but we can participate in a way that is profitable and is useful now oh praise god verse 11 knowing that such a person is warped in sinning being self-condemned and we've been talking a lot about self-image and self-esteem and um, self-worth and self-confidence not confidence in self confidence in who we are in christ and then, you know, the, the limitations or lack of limitations that we impose upon ourselves based upon what we understand about these things. But notice here we have, um, this, this is an individual who is uh, condemning themselves. They're being self-condemned. Why are they self-condemned? R- remember what John says. If you condemn yourself, God is bigger than your, if your heart condemns you, God's bigger than your heart and knows all things. Amen. So just because you condemn yourself, that doesn't mean God condemns you. Are you following me? Praise God. But if, you, if your heart condemns you not, the Bible says we have confidence towards God and know that we have whatever we ask. And so part of what happens to a man or a woman with a wrong self-image is that person, more times than not, is, is going to be a self-condemned person, meaning that, that we will, in the end, condemn ourselves. Even though God hasn't condemned us, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, God is not condemning you. But the Bible says that if if you condemn your heart, even though God is greater than your heart, right, um, when your heart, you're you're self-condemning, you're condemning yourself, um, it's going to take a tremendous toll on your faith and on your ability to get answers to your prayers. Okay, but I said all that, I even turned to this verse for that one word, and that one word is the word warped, okay? And that word warped means turned inside out. You ever put a shirt on backwards? Um, you ever put a shirt on inside out, okay? If the shirt is on inside out or if the shirt is on backwards, then you are wearing it in a warped way. That's what this word warped means. It literally means turned inside out or turned backwards, And so the idea here is it's speaking of someone who is trying to live from the outside in as opposed to living from the inside out. They're living in a warped way. To live warped could obviously mean a lot of different things. But if we take the the true definition of this word, we're talking about someone who is doing it exactly backwards to the way God created and intended for us to uh, live and to function. Now, I want to show you now... Um, because remember again, this is how we were created to live from the inside out. When we lost, stay with me, please. I know I'm going fast here. There's a target I'm trying to hit this morning. Okay. Before supper tonight. Okay. (laughs) Amen. Okay. All right. So when, when this is how God created us to live, but remember when Adam sinned, we all sinned with him and and our sins separated us from God. In other words, we can say it another way. Adam and the descendants of Adam lost their spirit union, their spirit connection, their spiritual oneness with God. And when we lost that connection, we lost everything that that connection supplied into our lives, supplied into us mentally, supplied into us emotionally, supplied into us spiritually, supplied into us physically, right? Um, this is why, if you notice over the figure that represents your body, your flesh, your five senses, your outward man, if you notice um, above that, the Greek word above his head is soma. That, that word in the Greek means body. And then above that even, there's the word bios, right? 
So we know that biological life and zoe life, they're two forms of life, but biological life is fleeting. Biological life is not eternal. Biological life is only temporary and it resides within the flesh. But Jesus said to people who had biological life, I've come to give you life. He says, I've come to give you abundant life. I've come to give you life without end. He didn't say, I've come to give you bios. He said, I've come to give you zoe. Jesus came to restore the life and nature of God back to us by restoring us back into union and oneness with God the Father once again. Amen. Amen. Now, we lost that connection. And there's tremendous fallout from that connection being lost. Okay? And one of the, one of the things that resulted from this is when we lost our heart connection with God, mankind began to live out of our brains instead of out of our hearts the way God created us to live. We tried to substitute our brain in place of our heart, amen, because we lost the heart connection with God and we no longer had everything that that connection was meant to provide for our life and our well-being and our ability to live as God created us to live. It's like if someone loses their ability to see, they'll substitute for that loss of that physical sense and they'll learn how to read with their sense of touch. It's a fascinating thing, right? In other words, someone who can't see, they can read Braille. And, and so notice what they've done. They've substituted um, one of their physical senses in place of a physical sense that they lost. Someone loses their ability to hear. They learn how to listen with their eyes. They substitute reading lips or sign language. So now they're hearing again, but not with their ears. Now they're, they're hearing with a, 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 another one of their physical senses that they've substituted in place of um, their, uh, the sense that they lost. And so in the same way, when we lost our heart connection with God, we substituted our brain in place of our heart. Amen. Now there's a problem with that because your brain is primarily an organ of survival. This is why your brain doesn't know what to do with faith because anything to do with faith, your brain feels is risky. Are you hearing me? Anything to do with faith, see, you pay your tithe by faith and your brain says, hold on a second, you may need that money at the end of the month. Are you sure you want to give God the 10% that belongs to Him? This is just your brain doing its job. Your brain is an organ of survival. It's trying to keep you alive. If we live out of our brains, it's going to be impossible for us to live by faith. Why? Because faith is a function of the heart. Faith resides in and functions from the heart. Are you seeing this? Okay. So I'm trying to help you understand a couple of things. Number one, we were created to live from the inside out. When we lost our heart connection with God, it threw us into a a, a disability. And and I'm not trying to offend anybody who may have like a physical disability, but this this is a disability of of enormous um, uh, uh, consequence uh, and adjustment uh, on our lives. And so now we come all these years forward, mankind has been living from their brain, meaning what? Living uh, uh, by what seems logical, living by what seems reasonable, living by what everybody else does. So notice, what does the average person do? They have a problem, they go to Google. They Google it. They want to see what everybody else did who had a similar problem, a similar diagnosis, what other, how other people dealt with it, what other people have to say about it. 
What, this, is, this is generation after generation after generation after generation of, of, of trial and error, school of hard knocks, learning the hard way, all these other things. And, and, and so we place so much emphasis, we place so much um, uh, of our trust and confidence um, in, in, in our brain's ability to, uh, to rationalize things and come up with answers and solutions. It's not God's best, my friend. It's not how God created us to live. And thank God, because of Jesus bleeding to death naked on a cross, it's not the only way we have to live any longer. We can ask Him about it, right? What's one of the most important questions you'll ever ask? What does the Word say? What does God say about this? What does God say about this? Now, thank you, Jesus. So we were created to live from the inside to the outside, but our inside basically died. Remember, death means separation. The single most important word you can ever understand about death is the word separation. To spiritually die means to your spirit to be separated from God who is a spirit. To physically die, this is when the spirit and soul separate from the physical body. If you're born again, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. Are you still with me? So when we, when we died spiritually, we didn't stop living biologically. And so now we've been thrown into survival mode. Now we're trying to figure out how to survive. Now we're trying to figure out how to get ahead. And since the only life in a body that's not connected or in a being that's not connected um, with God is the biological life, this puts the, the flesh in, an, in a position to call the shots. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let me get a drink of water here. You good? This puts the flesh in a position to call the shots. He's got the only life. And this is how our mind, emotions, and will become a slave to our flesh because our flesh throws the word death around like it's nothing. Man, that pie's to die for. You're killing me. Tickle me to death. Right? So you just throw that word around like it's nothing, right? But then it starts getting more serious, right? I'll die if I don't get another drink. And your mind's going, you've already drank too much. You're going to kill us. And, and it's, I'm going to die if I don't get me another shot of whiskey. Well, don't kill us. I'll help you. And so our mind becomes a willing accomplice. This is why the Bible says we were enemies of God. Both our mind and our flesh became enemies of God. Our mind became a willing accomplice to try to satisfy the desires, the deceitful desires that can never be satisfied. But again, our mind knew better but participated in this silly game of trying to bring satisfaction to our lives by satisfying the outward hungers of our flesh. So we started living from the outside in. We started trying to live our lives not the way we were created to live from the inside out. We, we, we started trying to live our lives from the outside in. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I've got a drawing for you, but before I show you the drawing, I don't want you to get so focused on the drawing that you don't listen to what I'm saying anymore. So hear me, please. Hear what I'm saying. This is so extremely important. Now, this may seem very odd to you, especially if no one's ever explained this to you. But listen to me, please. God created you in such a way... As for everything that you will ever need in life 
to come from Him into your spirit, through your mind, emotions, and will, into your body and life reality all around you. Okay? Now, I've got verses on this. If that seems so strange and odd to you, I've just got one simple question. Where do the apples on a tree come from? They come from inside the tree out of it. A tree that is so hard, don't knock on it too hard or you'll bloody your knuckles. But that hard tree brings soft, sweet, delicious apples out on its branches every season. Every, every harvest season, does it not? The fruit inside of a tree comes out of the tree. Our world is turning green. It's springtime here in Alabama. And I love springtime. Amen. And trees that had no leaves that looked like they were, were dead are springing back to life again. Where are all those leaves coming from? Where, where, is all of those, where are all those flowers on those azaleas coming from? Where are all those berries and blueberries and straw? Where is all of it coming from? It's coming from inside those plants, out of those plants. Where did the tree come from? It came from inside the acorn, out of the tree. It came from inside the seed. And then the fruit that has the seed in it, the seed has the tree in it, and the tree has the fruit in it. From the inside out, all of creation, my friend. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that created us. He created you to live from the inside out because we've never understood that, because no one's ever told us how to live that way. We thought everything we need is on the outside of us, and somehow we gotta try to figure out how to manipulate, how to, how to orchestrate, how to, how to work the system so that what we need can flow from outside of us into us. Listen to me, please. Healing is not outside of you. Healing is inside of you. Money is not outside of you. Money is inside of you. Love is not outside of you. Love is inside of you. Purpose is not outside of you. Purpose is inside of you. It's in you. We run ourselves crazy trying to lay hold of what we were created to have and experience and enjoy in life thinking that it's outside of us and if I can just get it. And Jesus said you can gain the whole world and lose your soul and die a loser. Because what you're looking for isn't in the world. It's in Him. It's not in the world to be found in the world. You can have, you can have all the glory that this world has to offer a human being and you'll never be satisfied until you're glorified by Him. Until you know His glory in your life. It doesn't matter. They can shout your name from the rooftops. Are you hearing me? This world can, you can have all of its wealth, you can have all of its fame, all of its notoriety, all of its power. And die a loser. Because you acquired something on the outside of you. And it's not how you were created to live. You were created to live from the inside out, not the outside in. This is how most people on planet Earth are living their lives. And notice the problem with this. It puts the individual at the center of everything. Right? 
right? See, you were created to project the glory of God in this created realm. We lost our ability to do that when we lost our heart connection with God, but it was still imprinted in our soul. This is why we, we thirst for glory. This is why we want people to know who we are. What, what does it mean to glorify God? It means to make, make who He is known, make what He has known, make, make what He can do and what He does known. See, see, you can't glorify yourself. And this is, this is the, and I got all kind of verses on this. We'll look at them maybe in the future. But listen to me, please. This is, the, this, is, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying because we were created for glory, but not our own glory. Are you understand what I'm saying? We, we were created for glory, but when we seek our own glory, it's all empty and hollow at the end of the day. Because to be glorified means to make known. Amen. And you weren't created to make yourself known. You were created to make Him known. Amen. But, but we don't, people don't understand that. This is why, again, people try to make who they are known. They want who they are to be known. They, won't know what, they want people what, to know what they have, what they can do, what they've done. No, no, my friend, it's so empty. It's so shallow. It's so hollow in the end because we were created for a higher purpose. We were created to make Him known. We were created by God to know God and to make God known. We were created to project His glory in this created realm. We have bore the image of the man of dust long enough. It's time to bear the image of the heavenly man once again to allow His glory to shine through us so that people can look at what you do and how you live and know there's a God in heaven so that people can look at you and look at how your life is blessed and know you ain't smart enough to be that blessed boy. You ain't talented enough to be that wealthy sister. It must be the hand of God on your life. It's who he is. It's, it's, it's what he does. It's what he has. He created you to project that. Instead, we're trying to do this. Trying to get people to love us and accept us. Trying to find some joy in life somewhere. Significance, happiness, security, contentment. Identity, freedom, peace, purpose, direction, acceptance, provision. The list could go on and on and on. Why, think about it now. Think about it. Why, why do people crave attention? Right? We, people crave attention so much that if they can't get it by being good, they'll get it by being bad. That's right. If your big sister makes straight A's and you're not a big fan of school, then you'll get mom and daddy's attention another way if you have to. This is how most people on planet Earth, no wonder the world, no wonder our nation is in the mess that it's in. See, instead of you trying to do whatever you got to do to get people to accept you, what if you just let the Holy Spirit who's inside of you, let's go back to this. The Bible says the Holy Spirit lives inside of the born-again man or woman, and guess what he's doing? He is pouring out the love of God inside of you. This is why Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. Not that you love your neighbor as yourself. That was an old commandment. The new commandment is that you love other people the way he's loved you. How could we ever do that if the same love that he loved you with is not being poured out in your heart? 
How different would the world be? How different would the church be? How different would your family be? How different would your marriage be? Instead of you insisting that my family respect me. Respect me! Respect me! Respect See, that's how many hundred men have I had in my office over the years. My family doesn't respect me. My wife doesn't respect me. My children doesn't respect me. By God, they're going to respect me. <laughs> trying to find in a wife or a husband, you're trying, to, you're trying to get your children to do something for you that only God can do for you. Amen? Until you know you're as loved by your Heavenly Father as Jesus, you're as accepted by your Heavenly Father as Jesus, you're as secure in your relationship with Him as your big brother Jesus, you are as significant to your Heavenly Father as Jesus, you have as much purpose in your Father's kingdom as Jesus. Are you hearing me? Until you understand all of that, you're going to run yourself ragged trying to find that in the world around you and somehow draw it into your life. This is why money has become the favorite God substitute of choice. Because we think money is the answer to all these things. If I have enough money, I'll be accepted. If I have enough money, I'll have my provision. If I have enough money, money will provide the meaning in my life because, you know, when I have new things, uh, I'm happy and, and money's how you get new things. And, and um, they say money can't buy love, but you know what? It, it, uh, it's, a, it's a lot easier to have it with a credit card than, than without one. You know, all this other stuff, right? If I have enough money, I'll be secure. If I have enough money, I'll be content. If I have enough money, uh, I'll, I'll have peace. And I, again... It's so empty. It's so hollow. Am I right about this? When Adam fell and severed that heart connection with God, we began to live from the outside in to compensate for how we were originally created to live from the inside out. Now, this made us vulnerable to two related lies that keep us locked down in bondage and defeat even after we've been born again and created again according to God. Okay? What are those two lies? Number one, is the lie that our projected image is our true image. Okay? Now, for those of you who are new to this study, your born-again spirit is your true image. The Bible says this is, this is as you are known right now in heaven. Your soul, it corresponds to your self-image. This is the image you have of yourself, how you see yourself, how you think of yourself. Your body corresponds with your projected image. This is, this is the version of ourselves that we want to project to the world, that we want people to see. 
Now notice what's happened here. When we live from the outside in, it's very easy. It makes us very vulnerable to the lie that the image we project is our true image. This is, it's, 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 it's almost like we need 15 minutes of review just to really, I think, let this point settle in. Okay. When we are tricked into living from the outside in, not, it's, it, it, it's, it makes us very vulnerable to believe that the projected image is our true image. This is why people try to change their lives by changing that projected image. I said two lies. The second lie is the lie that our true image is determined by how, how we feel and what we do. Because again, that's what's out here in front of us, right? How we feel and how things make us feel, how certain things, you know, interest us and other things don't, and, and how we feel about it. And then the things that we do in response to those feelings and thinking and our behavior. So the lie, two lies, number one, notice they're related. It's the lie that our projected image, our true image, Number two is the lie that our true image is determined by how we feel and what we do. Can I remind you this morning, you are a human being, not a human doing. What you do does not determine who you be. Who you be determines what you do. So what's the truth? The truth is your projected image is not your true image. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we regard no person according to the flesh, according to the outward or projected image. He goes on to talk about how we no longer we knew Jesus that way, but we no longer know him that way. Your projected image is not your true image, and then your true image was determined by God and is who you became the moment he created you again according to himself. The born-again man. Now, I like things you know, neat and tidy and in order. Um, I'm going to jump over a whole bunch of stuff because, and I started to start here this morning and I might, I might should have, but that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep a couple of things in the air as we juggle them and the Holy Spirit's helping us and I'm, if I'm messing it up, just forgive me, okay? Stay with me. At least two things I'm trying to do at the same time is, I'm, is I'm, I'm trying to help you see, really it's three or four things, but the two main things is how your self-image affects and impacts your life reality. And that the more our self-image becomes a reflection of our true image, the more our true image will be reflected and projected into our life reality, Okay. So while we're explaining all of that and how God created us to function, to make sense of it, I'm also trying to give you some things that will help you begin now, because we don't need to wait another minute. So last Sunday, if you, if you haven't watched it, if you only listen, 
thank you for listening. But I'm gonna encourage, if, I'm, if I've ever encouraged you to watch instead of listening to one of the messages, last Sunday would be the one to watch, okay? Um, because we explained a self-image feedback loop in that message, okay? And that's basically when we allow what our self-image is producing to loop back in and determine our self-image. So our self-image is determining our feelings and our behavior, but then living from the outside in, this makes us very vulnerable to believe that our feelings and our behavior, right, determine our self-image. And so it creates this loop that if it's never broken, we'll, we'll just stay caught in that vicious cycle till, till we leave this planet. Now, here's where I'm going to finish this morning. <clears throat> In Judges, the sixth chapter, in Judges, the sixth chapter, so just hard break, hard stop, and amen. We're still talking about the same subject, but praise God, I'm, i got to get this to you right now, all right? We've made this point a time or two while you're turning, turning to Judges 6. We need a self-image based upon the truth based upon the truth about what has been done for us instead of what has been done to us, based upon the truth of what has been done for us. Left out an of there. We need a self-image based upon the truth of what has been done for us instead of a self-image based upon what's been done to us. Are you still with me? Yes? Okay. Now, where did the Lord show us that? He showed us that here in Judges, the sixth chapter. Judges, chapter 6, and verse 7. And it came to pass... When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice." Now, I want you to see something really here. Now, this, this is, you know, you, you, let's, let's put our big boy and big girl pants on for a minute, okay? All right? Let's be mature, okay? Because I want, I want you to see here, they cried out to God for help. Matter of fact, you're going to see, matter of fact, let me just go ahead. Um, I'm gonna, let's skip down to verse 12 for sake of time. This is after now the angel Lord comes to a single, he's speaking to the whole nation. Now he comes to a single man, Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And if we were to read on, you would see where Gideon talks about how he's the least in his father's house. His father's house is the least of, the, uh, of, of his clan, and his clan is the least of the tribe, and blah, 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 blah. Very, very, very poor self-image, low self-image. You still with me? For a lot of you, you've heard me speak on this already. All right, but we're circling back, and, and here's, here's why, okay? We see that Gideon's image of himself, for that matter, the entire nation of Israel, their image of themselves was based upon what they were experiencing. Notice the feedback loop, right? What they're dealing with, what they're experiencing, the circumstances that they're facing, okay? They're allowing that to determine the image they have of themselves, without ever understanding that the image that they have of themselves is determining <laughs> the circumstances that they're facing. 
So they finally get wise enough to cry out to God for help. And notice how God responds. He responds, first of all, by reminding them of everything that he has done for them. Okay? Are you seeing this? He didn't say, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Me and the father were playing backgammon, and we, we just lost all sight of this. We didn't realize you guys were needing help. I'm so pleased. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Let me see what I can't come up with to get you guys a little help down there. See, that's how, that's how outside-in thinking goes, right? God, we need some help. You're out there somewhere. Can you send a little help my way? Instead, and I imagine it probably frustrated some of them, but God responded with everything that he had done for them and given to them already. But notice it says in, um, in verse uh, 10, you have not obeyed my voice. Now, this word obeyed, it means multiple things. Are you ready? First of all, it means to listen. You've not listened to what I've told you. It also means to hear. It's one thing to listen. It's another thing to hear. A lot of folks listen to me right now. Not everybody's hearing me right now. Listen, hear, and then after you hear it, it means to regard it. To regard it. What does regard mean? Regard means to give it a place of prominence. If you hold somebody in high regard, you know, you someone's opinion in high regard, that means that you value their opinion, what they have to say about something, over other people's opinion, what other people have to say about something. So to obey it means to listen, to hear, to regard. Then it also means to obey, which means to follow through and do. See, we try to obey things we've never listened to, we've never heard, we've never regarded, we've never given place in our lives. Are you following me? And the last thing this word obey means is to proclaim it. It means to say it. So when he says, you haven't obeyed me, he says, you haven't listened to me, you haven't heard what I've said to you, you haven't regarded what I have said for you and done for you, and you certainly have not proclaimed out of your mouth what I have said to you and what I have done for you. Now, two weeks ago, I was meditating on this verse very early. Matter of fact, I was still, I was in bed had not gotten out of bed yet, it's before daylight, and I was just meditating on this verse, and the Holy Spirit prompted me, if the roles were reversed under our covenant, stay with me now, you're going to be glad you waited around for this, okay? In other words, if the roles were reversed, people today, God, where are you, God? You've forsaken us, God. We need your help down here, God. Can't you see what's going on in my life, God? You know, little help, Father, please. Have you just turned your back on us? We kind of cry out like that. So if, if it was a similar situation and the Lord was to answer to you and me by answering to us what He has done for us, what would that sound like? I laid there long enough to know that I needed to get to a computer fast. (laughs) 
You ready? Where are you, God? Where are your miracles? Why aren't you helping us, God? Can't you see we're suffering down here? Can't you see we broke down here? Can't you see? Can't you see, God? When when you going to do this? When are you going to help us with that? When are you going to show up on this? When are you going to show out that? Show up and show out. Please don't ever say that in front of me. Okay? God's not a show-off. Are you hearing me? He's who? Thus says the Lord God Jehovah. I knew you and loved you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I gave you purpose and grace in my son before time began. I chose you to be one with me and to be as Jesus to me before you ever lived a single day of your life. I love you so much that I sent my son to rescue you. He became your sin and was punished in your place. So sin will never separate you from me again. When he became your sin, I turned my back on him, but I did so knowing it would be the last time I ever had to turn my back on one of my children. At great cost to myself, I delivered you from sin, and I also delivered you from the curse of sin, including sickness, poverty, and death. By my son's suffering and stripes, all of your sicknesses and diseases have been healed. I have given you my life and nature in overflowing abundance and without end. I have given you my spirit as a helper to be one with you and to live in you forever. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you to empower you to live the life I created you to live. I have set my eternal love upon you and nothing can separate you from it. I have withheld nothing from you. I gave you my son. I will surely give you all other things. I've given you my name, my word, my kingdom, my glory, my authority, and my victory. I've made you righteous. I've made you free. I've made you wise. I've made you strong. And I've made you prosperous. Jesus became accursed for you so the blessing of Abraham could forever encompass your life. I've seated you together beside me with Jesus in the heavenly places far above any demonic threat to your destiny. I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing and I've prepared things for those who love me that go beyond your wildest imaginations. My friend, that's his answer. If you're wondering where he is, that's his answer. If you're wondering why he ain't helping you, quit looking for the help outside of you coming to you and start looking for the help inside of you coming out of you. Find somebody that needs what you need and let let that flow through you. If you need healing, start praying for people who are sick. If you need money, start giving to people who are in. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh, if I need money, I ain't got no money to give. You got a quarter? Everything you need. Come on, singers and musicians. We need to worship him before we leave here. Everything you need. Let me tell you when, let me tell you when we change the world, church. It's when what I just read to you becomes the foundation for our self-image. Are you hearing me? (laughs) It's when everything I just read to you becomes the foundation for our self-image. He said you're a king and a priest. He said you're a special treasure to him. He said that you're a royal priesthood holy nation, 
a chosen people. Man, I don't know about you. I get all jumpy on the inside, man. Praise God. Something bearing witness. Stand with me this morning. Bearing witness. Bearing witness. Thus says the Lord God Jehovah, I knew you and loved you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I gave you purpose and grace in my son before time began. I chose you to be one with me and to be as Jesus to me before you ever lived a single day of your life. I loved you so much that I sent my son to rescue you. He became your sin and was punished in your place so sin will never separate you from me again. When he became your sin, I turned my back on him but did so knowing it would be the last time I ever had to turn my back on one of my children. At great cost to myself, I delivered you from sin and I also delivered you from the curse of sin, including sickness, poverty, and death. By my son's suffering and stripes, all of your sicknesses and diseases have been healed. I have given you my life and nature in overflowing abundance and without end. I have given you my spirit as a helper to be one with you and to live in you forever. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you to empower you, to live you the... To, empower you to live the life I created you to live. I have set my eternal love upon you and nothing can separate you from it. I have withheld nothing from you. I gave you my son. I will surely give you all other things. I have given you my name, my word, my kingdom, my glory, my authority, and my victory. I have made you righteous. I have made you free. I have made you wise. I have made you strong and I have made you prosperous. Jesus became a curse for you so the blessing of Abraham could forever encompass your life. I have seated you together beside me with Jesus in the heavenly places far above any demonic threat to your destiny. I have given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing and I have prepared things for those who love me that go beyond your wildest imaginations. Hallelujah. 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 Devil, you try it. I'll do it again. I'll do it five more times. Praise the name of the living God. 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 The living God, Jehovah Himself, is in our midst this morning. Praise the name of the living God. He created us again according to Himself. And His seed now abides in us. Listen to me for a minute. That word regard, it means one other thing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It means that which counts. Are you with me? That which counts. You ever do something and say, oh, that didn't count. That didn't count. Let me do it again. John Mark's teaching me how to play frisbee, uh, disc golf, frisbee golf, right? When I rear back and throw it as hard as I can and hit the tree 10 yards in front of me, that didn't count. How many of you know 
Some things count more than others. Here's the question you've got to ask yourself. You decide what counts when it comes to your self-image and what doesn't count. See, here's the problem. We haven't let what God has done for us and what He has said to us count. But we've let all the mistakes we've made and, and, the, and the sin that we've committed and the, and the potential that we've squandered and the, and the, and the lies that we've told and, the, and the, messes that, the messes that we've made. See, we let all that stuff count. And then Jesus becoming your sin and dying on a cross so you could become his righteousness. Well, that don't count. Are you kidding me? What counts? You decide what counts. Everything the Midianites did to them counted. What God did for them didn't count. Are you seeing this? That was their problem. So when they cried out for help, God reminded them of what should be counting in their lives. What counts? I'm not saying what the doctor told you isn't a fact, but it's not the truth. It's not the truth. Now, only you can decide if the facts count more than the truth. Let's sing, brother. Praise God.
If ever I'm determined, can we sing it? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Mon Baba Seti Titi Kita. Thank you, Jesus. 